Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 40. We're talking to Count Boogie, who has done all of our jingles for this show because I consider you an expert on paraphilias, and that's today's topic. I like paraphilias. <laughs> do you now? I do. I like some of them. I mean, there's a difference between paraphilia fetish and then the dysfunctional uh, paraphilias where it actually becomes a problem to your life. But actual fetishes and kinks and things like that are actually can be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So on the show, we do a shout out to the people who pledge at the boss level. They support us on patreon.com slash sexplanations podcast. And um, for those people, we do the the test question, the jingle that you made about testes. <laughs> oh, that's right. I totally forgot that. Oh, it's so cute. So I want to give a shout out to all of them. Donna Flint, Paul Nixon, Joanna, the Millers and the Fletchers. This question is going to be asked of Count Boogie, but it's in all of your honors. Dr. Doe is holding testes. She's holding testes. Camera. So, multiple choice. Okay, good. I like multiples. <laughs> <laughs> multiples are good. Not for me, but for partners. Yeah. When did the mental health field determine that paraphilias are not ipso facto psychiatric disorders? Okay. Okay. Give me some choices. 1973, 2001, uh, I, the, so, are a, those my 1970, two, those are my choices, a. A is a choice, I choose, a. a, 1973, B, 2001, C, 2013, and D, 2017. Well, if I'm going to give my wisdom and knowledge about, uh, when people finally owned up to the fact that paraphilias uh, and kinks are not a pathology unless they're compulsive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that had to be pretty recent. I'm going to say that was the 2013 change. Yay! Am I correct? You are correct. We were validated in 2013. You're no longer broken if you have kinky desires, according to... Right? So it's sad that it's more recent, um, but... I remember being in school knowing that that change was going to be made in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders in May of 2013. And I counted down the months until uh, that came. I was so excited for it. It was it was an amazing I mean, it's stupid that, you know, somebody official has to all of a sudden lay on the information that we are not broken when we have known we are not broken for many years. But it is absolutely validating in the fact that now we can talk about kink and they can't say you're sick. Just, right. you know, very similar, like when, you know, they took gay out as a pathology. I think mm -hmm. that was in the 90s or something, wasn't it? That was the 1973. Oh, that was the 19th. So it was no longer a pathology then. So it, even though it seems kind of, you know, ironic and, and stupid, it is validating. And it really has made a difference in the community, the BDSM kink community. It's made a big difference in how we can now approach when we go to colleges and when we go speak at places and when people talk to us, they can't say, oh, you're crazy. That's a mental disorder. We can actually now point to that change and say, actually, they've altered that and we're no longer crazy. It's 
It is something that if done in a correct way, in a healthy way, in an interacting uh, way with your partners is actually very it, it actually strengthens you in your relationships. Oh, that's a fun way to look at it. It is. It's been exciting. I mean, because I've seen a little bit of both. And you still hear people try to say that it's a sickness and an illness. And you know what? That's okay. That's that's their point of view that they're coming from um, from ignorance, not stupidity, but from ignorance. They just they have their background, their experience, their religious programming, their social programming. And so it's exciting to be able to have those conversations with people and to show them, you know, hey, we probably have more in common than you think. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that that's a a message that could be applied everywhere is, hey, we have a lot more in common than we don't. Yes. I want to go back for a moment and kind of put meaning to these words. So we have para meaning besides and philia referring to love. So really it's attractions or expressions of sexuality, love, etc. that are beyond what we might deem as conventional or traditional. Right. And then you have paraphilic disorders, which is the distinction that the DSM-5 is making to say in and of itself, so ipso facto, a paraphilia is no longer a mental disorder unless it creates problems in your life, just like... Um, Drugs and alcohol. Exactly. Eating disorders. Yes. Wonderful. So we have a lot of paraphilias out there in the world, over 500. And counting. And counting. And count- That's just that they've been identified. I mean, a guy can walk down the street and go like, oh, my God, I'm so turned on by bottle caps on my nipples. They just don't have a name for it yet. They just don't. Right. So there's thousands of them. What are some of your favorites? Um, now then, before I go any further, I must clarify uh, that in the kink community, in the BDSM community, there is a, a difference between a kink and a, and a fetish. And a fetish would be, as as you've described, where it is... It is something almost outside of the interpersonal connection that you have with someone. A kink is an attraction to something like, oh, you have cute feet or, oh, I really like crying or something like that. Um, and that's something that turns you on. But it doesn't it doesn't overtake your attraction to the individual. Whereas okay. whereas a lot of times you find when people have a specific fetish like balloon fetish or smoking fetish or foot fetish or things like that, where it starts to become awkward is when they're so focused on the fetish, they're not actually focused on the person. Like we have a lot of um, people that try to come in as foot fetishists and they're clearly not interested in the person attached to the feet. And that is where it kind of separates, where as a kink is more like, oh, I like you, but, you know, I like feet, too. Um, Whereas a fetish sometimes comes in and they're like, they don't they don't even care. How do I get to the feet or the thing? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, fetishes by definition are a type of paraphilia where the attraction is to the inanimate object or the body part. Right. And I think what you're saying is that in kink. It's something that is maybe preferred or optional, but it's not exclusive. Like you don't have to have that inanimate object or body part or experience in order to get off. It's something that you enjoy, but it's also about the larger connection to the person. Absolutely. That is absolutely. So that all being said, there are things that I I do like. I do enjoy, uh, obviously, sadomasochism. Um, I, I do enjoy, I really enjoy... Um, certain aspects of crying, dacrophilia, is the attraction to tears. 
Um, and that attraction could be somebody's pain. Like you get off on seeing them cry because of pain. Um, mm-hmm. But it also can be um, or you get you enjoy them crying because of emotional pain, like humiliation play. But then there's the other kind of the more daddy crying is kind of the you get aroused at the catharsis when they're going through something and you know they're fixing something like they had a moment. They were really they couldn't let it out. And you did whatever activity you did, and it brings the tears, but you know that those tears are like a segue to, you know, personal betterment and feeling better. Mm. Those are the types of tears that I get uh, really aroused by. So I enjoy watching the pain dacrophilia, but I really, the arousal is really when I feel like I'm a part, uh, when those tears happen, that lets me know that we're fixing something. And that's like very exciting to me. And for you, you would describe these as preferred paraphilias or optional paraphilias. Absolutely. You could take them or leave them, but you don't need them in order to get off. No, no, absolutely not. I'm a kinky person, so I have like 10,000 things that I find arousing. (laughs) It's true. I could probably list most of them. But yeah, I, I get aroused when I'm putting wax on someone. I get aroused when I'm lighting someone on fire. I get aroused when I'm spanking someone or and then, all, of course, all of the sexual uh, things. So those are I would call those kinks rather than fetishes, because like you said, I don't no one is required in order to achieve a level of arousal. They're all kind of pathways to that connection that I have with someone. Okay, so sadomasochism, you have the attraction or the pleasure derived from inflicting pain upon someone or having pain inflicted upon you. And then dacrophilia, which is the the love of tears or of crying. Sure. What else is out there in your book? I mean, there's things that I find like really interesting. I'm not going to say that they're super arousing, but a lot of my arousal is based on mental. So, um which it is for most people, but I, I kind of separate my dick from a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, because it's just very sexually fascinating and erotic to me. Like there's certain things like um, dollification or limp body um, mm-hmm. where the person pretends to be like a doll or limp. And you just, you know, that everyone's very quiet and it's like, I it's kind of pervy. You kind of like sneak in like they, you know, like the, it's a role play. It's a consensual role play. We talked about it. Um But you come in and you like lift up their arm and you drop their arm or you kind of like move them around and try not to wake them up, even though they're actually awake. And stuff like that is really it's really like titillating and fascinating to me to do some of those things. Dragging someone down a hallway. That's always hot (laughs) by a foot. It's a smooth hallway. Yeah. We watch out. We make sure their head doesn't hit. But I have a lot of uh, a lot of partners that that love like that role play where I'm pretending to be like the because I'm you know I'm a bigger guy you know they they would like to be like dragged down the hall by the org you know (laughs) and and then tied down to something and violated or spanked or something like that so that's so that's a lot of fun some I'll put on the coveralls and I'll do like the Texas chainsaw massacre thing and put on a mask and that's kind of fun do you know what inspires that in you like where the attraction came from, or do you think it's a uh, trial and error where you did something new and you just have a um, an arousal to the the neo nature of it? I'm I'm going to definitely have to say both, 
because there's the part that's creative. And when you're in a community like uh, like we're all here at Threshold in North Hollywood. And when you're in a community of people and you're here and you are around all of this creativity, like I may do a scene where I'm dragging someone down the hall and this person is in the other room and they're, you know, doing some sort of bondage or, you know, body painting or and then over here there's screaming and this you can't help but take pieces and then kind of go, oh, my God, I never even thought that would turn me on. That's amazing. You see the connection between people. And mm-hmm. so there's that aspect where you're in a community, you're a nerd, you're going to come up with new stuff. There's always that. But then there's those parts of you that have always been attracted to a certain visceral level of sexuality, you know, kind of that more primally grab, take, throw somebody down. Uh, that seems more internal. And then you yeah. kind of you happen onto more things as you go. So for something like spanking. Sure. It sounds like you're saying there's an element of being into it because you're part of a creative community where maybe you see someone get spanked and it has a positive outcome. And so you're like, oh, yeah, let's get into that. But then there's also this nature aspect of it where something in your DNA reads that as a go. Absolutely. And I think that can be based on where I am psychologically at the time. Like, I'm going to need different things at different times based on my level of confidence in myself during that day. Maybe I need a role play where I compensate some confidence because I'm not feeling confident. So I talk with my partners and I say, hey, I really feel the need to just push myself to be more dominant because I'm not a natural born dominant. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a term that gets thrown around and I laugh at those people because I'm like, you know what? When you were three years old, your mom put you wherever the hell she wanted to. You weren't a natural born dominant. OK, sometimes you have to fight through these things to achieve that level of dominance that works with you and your partner. So there are some times where I'm in a different headspace and then different types of behavior during play are needed for arousal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm focused on how you have these conversations with your partners before you play. I know that, but I love hearing it again and again that even with something that is like a second language to you, you still pause, have the conversation about what you want out of a scene or an experience, and then go about achieving that. I think it's so cool. It's Well, you kind of have to. Because if you don't, even though, like, say, my one girl, uh, Mew, that I've been with for three years, we have played hundreds of times, hundreds of different ways. But once again, this isn't a fetish. She is not a thing. I know she is a person with her own thoughts, feelings, confidence, resentments, narcissism, insecurities. At any time, any of those can be occurring. So if I'm not communicating with her about what she's going through at the time when we start to play, as well as telling her what I'm going through, that's when you're going to start running into real problems in the middle of a scene. Because yeah. because just because someone says they like something today does not mean they're going to be in the headspace for that thing tomorrow. This this weekend, right. this weekend was a perfect example. Um, before we played, she's like, oh, I really want some play. And I go, OK, you know, let's have it be a, a girl's choice tonight. You go ahead and pick five toys and we'll play with those. So she picks her toys and we get there. We get up to I put her on a St. Andrew's cross in the main room. It was real sexy. 
and stripped off her clothes. It was all romantic. And then before I started playing, you know, we do that little check in. Are you here with me? Are you know, are we going for this? And she says, hey, I'm going to start my period. And that's all she needs to say to me, because I know that means my skin's going to be more sensitive. Please don't hit me as hard as you would normally that I enjoy because my skin is about three times more sensitive. Oh, my goodness. So I need to know that because if I go in and I just assume, hey, I know this person's a heavy bottom and she loves marks and she loves this and I start cracking away. Instantly, the headspace of her is going to deform into something very negative because she can't handle that in that moment. So just that little check in lets me know that's totally okay. I like the reaction. If I don't have to hit you so hard, it saves my shoulder. So I just want the reaction. So those little communications and we were able to do I adjusted the level I did on her. And I was still able to bring out all the same reactions and sensations, but it was in a way that that she really enjoyed. She was really grateful for that. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's so beautiful. I love that about the kink community, BDSM. Just not – I don't want to just teach it so that people know that exists, that it exists. I want to teach about it because there are so many things to draw from the community as amazing behaviors to improving everyone's sexuality and the fact that you talk about preparing and then checking in again or knowing these nuances about how the body changes and being able to have that dialogue is just so beautiful it it, it was a long learning process i mean i i used to you know i've always been a communicator and you know helpful i used to be a preacher and all that stuff um long ago but my communication my ability to actually think about another person's feelings uh to be constantly have that in my mind is all from the king community is all mm. the years that i've been here because you, i've seen it go bad i've seen it go bad with myself i've seen it go bad with my partners i've heard endless stories of it going bad by not communicating and even if it's just a little communication that goes so far and and literally nobody thinks that when they come into the lifestyle, everyone comes in the lifestyle and they're going to go public. They want to go to a, you know, a BDSM facility and they think it's about, you know, the kink. And then like very quickly upon arriving, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to actually become a better person. Yeah. So it's a, and, yeah. and de- once again, I have to default to depending on the place you go. I had that experience here. At threshold, there are some dungeons and clubs out there where they don't emphasize communication as much, and maybe they drink a lot and it gets a little rapey. And so, I'm not going to say any BDSM facility you walk into is going to be automatically very nurturing and great and positive. You still have to do your homework and check, but many, many communities out there uh, have this positive vibe about them. They do. It's true. And I think maybe it's the opposite of the reputation that society gives it where the kinky world is seen as like abusive or dangerous when in reality there's so much to it that is more consensual and safer than vanilla play. Sure. You don't get uh, you don't get nearly as many consent violations in a well-run BDSM dungeon as you do at a rave or a bar. Or any other number of places where people... A bedroom. Yeah, or a bedroom, absolutely. Uh, So I agree with you there. So good on you. Okay, can you teach me more paraphilias? Well, on our show, we uh, just talked about dendrophilia. 
a little while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what dendrophilia is? Uh, not off the top of my head. Oh my God. How can you not know this? It's the sexual arousal to trees. Den- Dendra. Dendra? Yeah, like Dendra. Oh shit. Don't ask me to pronounce it correct. You're the academic here. I love <laughs> I love how you're like, Lindsay, how could you not know? Well, you should just interpret. You know. You know, like those the, 500 paraphilias. The, whatever. It's dendrophilia. It's it's the tree hugger with boundary issues. <laughs> because it's true. It's like I have whole stories where I was going to kill myself 20 years ago as a drunk, blah, blah, blah. I found a tree. I became friends with this tree. I rescued this tree. It helped me not kill myself. So I... I had a relationship with it. It was a one-sided relationship. The tree had no idea I was alive. Um, But I put a lot of energy into this tree and that helped me. But I never rubbed my penis against that tree. And I would like to just say that I kept those boundaries. But there are some that literally, and the more we talked about it, the more you found people that would, that all of a sudden kind of like, oh, in a dirty way, I could do that. And I'm like, it's a tree. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling this story about yourself or someone else? Uh, the tree story is mine. The tree, my relationship with tree, I just call it tree. It doesn't have a name. Um, for the last 20 years, there's a specific tree. I now have tree babies. I have three generations up in the roof of Threshold um, <gasps> that I grew these little baby trees from the tree that I saved. It's like a whole, you know, drum, you know sweet you know, sad emo story, but I never had a, so I could say I have a relationship with a tree. It's Mm one-sided, but I don't have a sexual attraction to trees, but, uh, but yeah, there's people that literally they sexualize, uh, maybe because of the phallic symbol of the tree or something, but it's a thing. Wow. So I have two curiosities about that. (laughs) One is, are there certain species of tree that make for higher quality sex partners? I'm going to say eucalyptus. Because, yeah, damn right I thought about this. Um, Because eucalyptus, some eucalyptus trees have that really smooth. That's why... Yeah. Insects don't like eucalyptus. They create that smell to ward off insects because the bark is very smooth. But maybe something that has holes in it. Anyway, um, the other one that I. you. Just going to that dirty, dirty level. Dr. Toe, you should be proud of yourself. I am. You are. You are a good. My perfect. mind is always See, because then worry. all of a sudden you start thinking, hey, there's a hole in the tree. I'm going to go for it. I don't know what's in that hole. There could be a squirrel. That squirrel could have teeth. My cell phone has a flashlight on it. So you I'm would, not worried. So you would investigate the hole before you try. Well, it would be a little different for you. I mean, you could always mount a strap on into the hole and then. Exactly. Well, because my head goes to most people with paraphilias are male. And so I'm thinking of it from that point of view. If I were to fuck the tree, though, it would definitely be all about a smooth branch or people have even (laughs) produced... Uh, phalluses out of wood. There's a company called Knob Essence, N-O-B-E-S-S-E-N-C-E, who, they, like, their whole product is wood. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's good. That's Look at good that. Stuff. See, you have a little bit of the denge. 
<laughs> you got a you got a, you got a touch of the dens there, Doctor Doe. A little little uh, little tree thing. So now, when you get aroused, because obviously you've thought about this at some point. If you're not just wait, thinking, wait, I have. Have you? You? I don't know. You seem to get very specific, and you had the website spelled out perfectly and phonetically for your listeners. I'm thinking you've thought about these wood things before, and I'd like to know what that's about, young lady. Okay. Well. First, let me tell you the second curiosity I have, okay. which is whether or not the Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, <laughs> you know, like, is that soft core erotic literature? Well, I don't know. Um, but to answer your question, I was in school in San Francisco and there was a sense- sensatorium event that was put on. Okay by some classmates where they just pulled a lot of sexual and erotic experiences together in one place. And uh, I dressed up in a kinky little outfit and went, and there were two people there. They did costumes that were so beautiful and carried around with them in a basket all of these wooden dildos. They were from the company Knob Essence, and I just thought they were the greatest thing because... I, I really struggle with vibrations. I'm, sure. Vibrators are really hard for me. That m- fast movement is uncomfortable. Sure. And I loved the idea that this was a very natural material. They, at the time, covered their product with, I think they called it a medical-grade silicone called sure. Lubrosity. And so I have always been a huge advocate of them. They actually sent me their whole line and my flogger, which is I think at the time it was being sold for over $200, comes from their company. So I'm a fan of them. That's why they're on the tip of my tongue. Okay. I, I just, you just, you had like a little romantic twinge. And when you were talking about the wood and made out of the, <laughs> and the way you were kind of, your voice kind of dropped a little bit. And so I'm just noticing that you may have kind of a things for wood. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Just uh, to oh, uh, your Count listeners. Buggy, I probably have a, Go ahead. To your listeners, a little safety tip. If you're going to use hard, solid dildos that are made out of wood, just be careful vaginally (laughs) because you can injure your cervix if you get aggressive with that. And in the moment, you're not going to care because you're all turned on. But then next thing you know, you got a trip to the doctor. Yeah. But you don't care, do you? I think I'm turned on by... You want the tree. All of the things. You got the denge. Because I can can just connect it to life. Maybe I'm just turned on by life. I think a lot. There's, I mean, those would be like earth fetishes because a lot of people get aroused at the beach. A lot of people get aroused in nature. So you would think any of the items that represent to your mind nature, which would be a tree, sand at the the beach, definitely not in crevices, but sand at the (laughs) beach or seawater or, you know, any... You know, type of thing could inspire arousal. Absolutely. Because how many of us go to these places and you just feel alive? And when you feel alive, you're circulated. And when you're circulated, you get aroused easier. So you. Right. But but I'm not even seeing life as in nature and living things. I'm just talking about being turned on or getting high from the experience of life. Like traffic? You get a you get nipple <laughs> erections during traffic? You are just a kinky person. I mean, I can draw a connection to that. I teach my clients to use traffic lights as a cue to action when they need to work on their kegels or when they um, should make contact with their genitals with their hands so they can learn how to masturbate. Just, yeah, I, just, almost everything in my life has a sexual connection. Okay. All right. 
I'm not going to see instantly. I want to like find the thing that you go. Eh. I want to find your squick factor. So I'm just going to hold that back. I'm just going to hold that back and, and just uh, say, yes, you are attracted to life. I mean, I can tell you where I get turned off. I wouldn't necessarily say like shame, shame on someone else. No. I, I am totally opposed to yucking someone's yum. But I, yeah, vomit um, does not get me off. It's rainbow, rainbow play. You call it rainbow play? I think it's called, I'm pretty sure it's called rainbow play. I mean, yeah, edemophilia yeah, it is its official name. Is but... that what it's called, edemophilia? Yeah, but I think rainbow play. <laughs> rainbow play wow. so cute. Like if you if you clear out your stomach and then you eat a bowl of fruity pebbles and some milk and then do it, it's like a rainbow. There's no bile in it or anything or that stuff, whatever's in your stomach. Come on. See, now you just like gave it an element of allure because the thought of someone wanting to please another person by eating fruity pebbles right. to to create a really beautiful uh gurf what is it called an ex gurf ex- just call it gurf sure G-G-R-N. one of those i want you to gurf fruity pebbles on me cuz you love me then then to me that that's beautiful yeah okay i have not done that but you know there are definitely people and that a lot of those like especially like foot fetish and scat fetish, uh, pee fetishes, all those types of things. A lot of those have to do with the smell that comes with it that for many people is a very oh, unpleasant yeah. smell. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and so that's that's totally cool. But I saw some research. You would probably have a little information on this, like especially dealing with uh, foot fetish, armpit fetish, uh, those types of things that there is a part, I guess, in the amygdala. That also controls next to it is where the smell center is, um, really close to your sexual arousal center. And that sometimes in the brain, it's a little closer. Mm. And they found that so that way those pathways are crossing each other. So Mm -hmm. strong smells to those people because it's passing so close to their arousal centers. That's why people get off on really all these interesting and sometimes crazy smells. Wow. I don't know. Okay, I'm curious. I'm going to do some more. You research do some there. research because I could just be full of shit. I found it on the interwebs, and we know that's that's only half true. But it looked, I think it was like Mayo Clinic or something, so it looked legitimate. Mm, I like it. I am looking at Wiki's list okay. of all these paraphilias, and I want to name some that I think are really beautiful. So there's sophophilia, <laughs> which is the paraphilia for learning. Oh, I thought it was for having fight. sex with couches. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. There is one though. Is it? Um Come on, couch cushions. The- Come on, you're a teenage boy, you're going to you're going to hump the bed. You got to <laughs> that's that's pressure. You got to Fortunately, we now know put a, put some sort of uh, plastic or something there, but uh I thought that was sophophilia the second you said it. I'm like, "Yep, done it." That's funny. Uh, I mean, there is one. What is it called? Cuz I mentioned it in the episode of Sexplanation's YouTube channel on paraphilias where you get pleasure from imagining someone as furniture or or this is forniophilia. Forniophilia? F-O-R-N-I P-H-I-L-A. Forniophilia. I-L-I-A is erotic interest in turning someone into furniture. Oh, we do that. I do that a lot. That is amazing. You do? Furniture play. I do that all the time. I have my one girl bunny, um, and uh, she loves it. And there's, once again, everything that you think about a kink 
can have six other directions. A lot of people think of furniture play and objectification as turning someone into a degrading, you are less than me. Mm-hmm. But there is also giving people, like with a lot of times when I do furniture play uh, with my girls, um, it's like, okay, you're going to be my table while I eat. You're going to be the table. You're going to keep your back straight. I'm going to put my plate and I'm going to eat off you. Now, That's sexy. It's very, very sexy, and there's a few ways that you look at it. The way I usually do it, the way that turns me on, is I know that they've been stressed. They're dealing with all of their studies, all of the incredible pressures on the brain. I allow them to just become one with the planet. You come from the planet. You're about the planet. You have a lot of anxiety about shit that has nothing to do with the planet. You get to just be this object. I don't want you to think about anything other than being a table, holding this plate, let go. And then once they let go, of course, it's kind of cool when you have a human female table or male, depending off that's your thing, you then get to be sexual with your table. And that's kind of fun because they still have to hold still, you know, you're not, you're, you're not allowed to like all of a sudden turn around and go, I'm an oak, oak bench. I'm crazy. No, you have to still (laughs) hold that. So it can be very sexy, but it's not always. I mean, I do that. I do that with Bunny all the time where we do cook holding and and, uh, objectification and stuff like that. Uh, And I make her sit and be that. But there's also that aspect where objectification and furniture play can be a meditation. I want to sit on you. Like uh, like my one girl, Mew, who is amazing. She loves to be crushed, like put a piece of furniture on her. She's all just put all your weight on me. Just crush me. Does that have to do with asphyxiation at all? Um, no, I mean it does put some strain on her her breathing, but you're not we're not cutting off her breathing. It's that pressure. Mm-hmm. She's over. She doesn't she doesn't talk on the air because she, she wants to be a doctor someday. Um, in a different doctor, I should ask her about that. <laughs> if it's an is it is it an asphyxiation thing? Yeah, you do like choking. I do know that, but for her, she says it's more about the weight. And the pressure and that feeling held down. I think actually, I don't know where I saw it in some um, mainstream publication about how that is becoming something that more and more people are seeking out where they have uh, weighted blankets that well, you yeah, can yeah. Have well, covering yourself. That's like for, um, uh, what do they call it? Thunder blankets that you put on a dog. Or I think they use it oh, on yeah, autistic yeah. children where that pressure, you feel that anxiousness and just having that weight on you. I think it has something to do with like we all spent nine months in the womb. So there was we were constrained and had pressure in the womb. So there are times when you take it's like a lot, a lot like bondage. Um, you take people mm-hmm. back to that that moment where they were safe in the womb and they're able to relax. Yeah, I love my oral hygienist, my dental hygienist. You love, what she'll do, you, do the x-rays? Do, yeah, you, when she does the x-rays, she puts the gown, the heavy-weighted gown yeah. on to protect me. And then she just knows to leave it there for the rest of the session while she cleans my teeth because I love it so right. <laughs> That is awesome. You negotiated with your dental hygienist. That is great. <laughs> Thank you. That is awesome. Can you just leave this on? I'm just I feel I feel safe. See, that is an example of why you communicate with your your medical professionals. <laughs> Cuz <laughs> you could have something very pleasurable Absolutely. during and and less than pleasurable experience. Absolutely. I think this is good. Good example of communicating. Don't be afraid to talk to your doctors, especially about sexy stuff and anal. In my- in my pelvic exam, 
video. Yeah. I do encourage people to masturbate prior to watching your pelvic exam video. (laughs) You encourage people to masturbate during. Look, I know you have a little narcissism and you know you're hot, but, you know, during the pelvic exam. No, I can do it. I mean, if you give me an assignment, you know, I'm not necessarily a bottom, but I do like assignments. I will go and masturbate to your pelvic exam video. (laughs) <laughs> Can I put my thumb up and cover the doctor, though, and then pretend that it's me? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't control you. Okay. Thank you. You, you do you. I do boogie. Okay, good. I'm saying, though, that I encourage people to masturbate before they get a pelvic exam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. As a way of improving their medical experience, but also as part of the conversation around really exploring your sexuality in those contexts, not in a way where you're sexualizing the provider or the situation, but so that you can take care of yourself. Like, you know, if you get on an SSRI or something to treat anxiety or depression and it affects your sex life, then talking to your doctor and saying, hey, this isn't working for me is really important. And I think a lot of people shy away from those conversations because nobody gives them permission or sets an example for how that looks. And I think that the kink community, right, all of what we've talked about is how much those short and simple conversations can make huge differences. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have I have years of evidence to prove that and to the contrary. When it, yeah. yeah when, it, right? when it goes bad, you're like, ah, oh, I could have helped this. Yeah. So what would you say to people who are interested in the kink world, in the the beyond vanilla. Uh, the first thing I would say uh, to anyone who is curious is you are absolutely okay right now in this moment of your life to have whatever desires you have. And mm. the fact that you have these desires does not make you broken. It does not make you bad. It makes you an alive animal. And what's great about exploring kink is it is taking the desires of the animal evolved part of your brain and mixing them with the intelligence, logic, reason, and compassion part of your brain that we now have and putting both of those together and getting to experience the fullness of your entire brain in regards to your eroticism and your sexuality. And it is amazing to be able to do that. And you are valid to be able to do that. Ask a lot of questions don't jump in too fast until you get good information and don't trust everyone who says they're a fucking expert, including me, including me, including me. Question everything. There are very, very charming people in every walk of life who will tell you that they are the answer to your curiosities. That's beautiful. I want to add to it or at least push on it. So when you first started talking about your your suggestions, I thought about one of the most common paraphilias, which is pedophilia. And yes. so you're saying to the listeners, this is who you are and there is nothing wrong with who you are. And I apply that to pedophilia and I absolutely agree. Like that is how your attraction expresses itself. This, this is what you feel. It's you as a human being. And then the... I think distinction between something like that and maybe what's another one that's pretty common, like a foot fetish is 
the element of consent. Yes. And so while we want people to express their sexualities as much as they possibly can, we also have to accept and honor the sexualities or just the humanness of others. Absolutely. <laughs> or not the humanness if we're talking about animals, but the um, the social, what is the word I'm looking for, count? Anyway, just to say, like, there's a difference between being aroused and attracted to something and then, and then acting, acting on, on that yes. in a way that isn't consensual. Absolutely. And, and, and it is true. And, of course, pedophilia, as somebody who had my own negative sexual experiences as a child and uh, as somebody who was a big fighter against child molestation, once again, I have to say the th- you cannot change your brain. If you have an arousal, that is fine. It is what you do with that. If mm-hmm. if you have an attraction to anything and that is what is in your mind, that is who you are and what you are. Now, there may be reasons for that and ways to, to deal with that so you don't have the same intentions or desire, blah, 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 blah. That's all mm-hmm. the stuff you figure out in therapy. But it is the action. You don't become a monster until you act on that negative. You can have rape fantasy if you want. You can have a fantasy of abducting people at gunpoint and throwing them in a van. But it is the day that you cannot differentiate between fantasy and reality that you are a danger to yourself and to our society. So you must, if you have these feelings, I have uh, aggressive, not consensual, non-consensual fantasies, and I have to negotiate those things, not just with my partners and find out if they're okay with it, but with myself. So I absolutely agree. You can think anything that you think in your head, but if you're having things that are harming other people negative, harming children, those things, you have to look at yourself honestly. Otherwise there is a lot of people go into that denial. They forget about other humans and then they start assaulting people. Yeah, it's very tricky when you, when you're talking about those things. I'm thinking, gosh, where where or why do we draw those lines between what is acceptable and not acceptable? Why do we say at this time homosexuality isn't a mental disorder, uh, or and now at this time we say that inflicting pain upon someone for sexual arousal is not a disorder and consent. Yes. It's a oh gosh, it's it, such a bigger conversation. Yeah, you know, we could have a long conversation about consent, but ultimately that is the clear giving permission with a sober understanding of the risks involved as long as you are an adult based on whatever laws are in in your community. Mm-hmm. Consent. If you're going to do something that involves somebody that is not a, a balloon or a tree or a tailpipe of a car, which is a, which is an amazing fetish, um If you need to include someone else in your fetish, consent is the line. It is actually a very thick line. It is not a vague line. Consent is the line. And if you have that, then really any role play that you play out with someone, there's very few. It's not an absolute, but there's very few things like cutting off someone's arm or killing someone. As long as you have that consent, you can explore that part of your mind with another person. That's the thought. Oh, so much more to learn and think about. I love it. Um, <laughs> on that note, let's go from talking about harder social conversations. Yeah, let's go back to, to your, uh, your kegels. Your, let's go back to your exams. <laughs> now, wait, you got to teach. Okay, this is awkward, but I'm going to do it. Okay. Guys can work kegels too, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know that. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I look at my ass because it's a hot man ass, but you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
Is this my about my pelvic floor? Or am I just pulling my taint? Yes and yes. So if you imagine urinating and the <laughs> muscles that you clench to stop urination and start urination, can oh. you imagine those? Oh, that felt weird. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. Was I supposed that to start? Because I did. Action <laughs> totally is started. A kegel. That's a kegel. Woo. Yes. <laughs> How to do that? Kegel. And kegel. Another way that people with penises work them is by having an erection. Okay. And then bouncing it up and down so that you are essentially doing that <laughs> I same thing. I do squeeze. that all the time on my girls. See? Yeah. yeah. I do that. I bounce. So you're just, it, wait, are you saying bouncing or, or like whacking your penis on something? Um, I'm saying both. if you have an erection, you yeah. can take a towel or a tissue and lay it over the penis. Oh, I do that. And I then, do like towel boy thing. Like when it's really hard, you put the towel up and you go, madam, do you need a towel? It's, it's, Yes, exactly. That's a Kegel exercise. Yes. See, mm-hmm. look, honey, honey, this is healthy. I just got a look. I just got a very strange look from my girlfriend. It's going to strengthen your orgasms. I don't care about that. <laughs> I don't. I hate my orgasms. I despise them. They are, they, look, as I think you've pretty much understood, you and your listeners have figured out, I maybe have some mental issues, a uh, little manic, little anxiety, life of depression, that type of stuff. So the hormones and stuff that holds my insanity in when I orgasm, that damn goes and then all the voices come out. So if it's not like right before I go to bed, then uh, it's crazy time. And I detach from my partners. I'm like, God. So I try not to come, at least with my partners. Wow. Yeah. And they don't complain because once they finally get over the, oh, I'm not pleasing you thing, I go, no, you're pleasing me by us interacting and creating all this incredible energy. And then they're like, so I can come a lot, right? And I'm like, yeah, knock yourself out. Let's do this. Uh, It actually works out better. You get to have more sex. Cool. Otherwise, 10 minutes. That's a nice thing. Yeah. I do wish that you liked your orgasms, though. Uh, Conversation for the future. Okay, okay. so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read the paraphilias that start with A, and for each word I say, just clench clench your pubococcygeus muscles. Those (laughs) are the pelvic flooring muscles. Say it slower. Say that slower. Stop and start urination, and then release. So, a basiophilia. Oh, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce these. Asrato, asrato, strato, strato. What is that? Agalangomatophilia, algolangnia, uh. andromitimetophilia, analianlangia, anthropophalangia. I like how you're getting more and more drunk every time you say it. <laughs> Hey, you're supposed to be focusing on your groin. I, I am focusing Anthro- on my groin while you're reading. Let me. I'm going to make an electronic song out of this. Anthropophagia. That's a paraphilia of ingesting human flesh. Apotemonophilia. Asphyxiophilia. Attraction to disability. Disabilia. Well, now I'm even turning <laughs> words I know into slippery. It's okay, just breathe. I'm sounds. with you. I am here from far. I'm. I'm. We're all together. Auto go in. I have now left my kegels, and I am now just wondering: Are you okay? No. Do you smell burnt toast? Can you have your sound? Erotic and- asphyxiation. <laughs> Auto-hemofetishism, auto 
Nepionophilia? <laughs> Boy, do I wish I knew the, the language here. Autopedophilia, autoplushophilia. Is that, is that sex with stuffies? Uh, yes. Oh, we do the that. Image of oneself in the form of a plush or anthropomorphized animal. Then autovampirism and autozophilia. There we go. We did the A's. That, now then, if, if your listeners play that backwards, it'll actually make more coherent sense. You just did like the devil backwards track. I'm totally stealing this. Well, now we have one more assignment okay. to do. It's to come up with sextra credit. Sextra credit. Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sextra credit. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for the audience? For sextra credit? I would I would say sextra credit if you have a partner um, or you can just use on yourself. I would I would suggest taking an inma- inanimate object, something, uh, put a condom on it and use it either in masturbation or on your partner, given that it doesn't have sharp edges um, or can cause internal harm of some sort. Any inanimate object because Any- you're looking to like strike a fetish in this person or you just want them to explore. Explore. Just explore. Cool. I mean, if you're a girl, or I'm, uh, if you're a female, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to be more not pig, um, then TV remote control inside, you know, with the buttons, a little ribbed. If you're a guy, you're, I, I got to admit, I have used your how to build a sex toy video. Gotta say. Great. Gotta say, uh, I never knew about Fifi's or anything, and I tried it. It, it was a little awkward, but it was very effective. But yeah, find something... Even if it's just feeling the texture against your genitalia and then clean it. Don't do it passive aggressively either. Don't take like your mom's toothbrush or something. How about cover it in a condom? Even if you cover it in a condom, do not use your mom's toothbrush. (laughs) Unless she's into that sort of thing, you know. (laughs) But yes, cover it in a condom. Yeah, those remote controls, they can be dirty buggers. You have some experience? No. I mean, just touching them in general and being grossed out. That is a that we're not going to get into another topic, but that is part of some of the fetish of having sex with things that people have touched. That's true. Yeah, it's just not my yum. No, I'll put it that. No, way. it's a little germy. Can be a little germy. We use a lot of maticide around here. Maticide. Yes, that's the napalm of all bacterial disinfectants. So fascinating. So much to learn from you, Count Boogie. Uh, I learned from you too, Dr. Doe. This is our symbiotic relationship. I refer people because I can't teach kids because uh, I'm a pervert. I'm a pervert on our show. We talk about adult, adult stuff. So I constantly, you are amazing to speak to a younger audience. So I'm constantly referring our younger listeners to go and learn from you. Oh, thank you. Hey, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love hanging out with you. Yeah, it's been super fun. And thanks for making our jingles. They're so delightful. I love making your jingles. If you need more jingles, you know I am the jingle meister. I am your jingle bitch, Dr. Doe. (laughs) Aw, thank you. Uh, I also want to thank Cinema Studios, Callie uh, and Complexly for production. I want to thank you again for the jingles like I always do. And end with a final note, Encora and Parle, I'm still learning. Mm-hmm.